At 19, I wanted two things, to fall in love with my soulmate and live happily ever after, and to win an Olympic medal, in that order. Cringe all you want at that statement, but it's true. I learned from experience that the two things I wanted most weren't necessarily compatible though, at least not easily and at the same time. Companionship and love, the stuff that makes life worth living for many, if not all of us, doesn't pop up as a factor in performance or Olympic dreams. But if it's hard to find, it certainly can be a factor. Still a teenager when I moved to the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, I hit a stretch when the walls of my personal life were closing in on me. While the OTC provided me everything I could ever need to improve to the world level as an athlete, it did not help me with my priority number one. And after several heartbreaking, imperfect, short, intense relationships, I recognized I was lonely, full stop. As time went on, it got better though, as I met and had really great relationships with some European women I'd met as an athlete competing over there. But that proved also to be a hard bridge to cross, the distance, the language, the culture. It was just a lot to get through with all of them. Eventually, long after my career, I did meet a wonderful Finnish woman with whom I've enjoyed the greatest years of my life and raised a wonderful family. I like to think that my entire messed up ski world relationship history prepared me just for her. So last year, when Often Blotted, Sweden's biggest newspaper slash website, in its run-up to the 2021 Nordic World Championships, ran a photo of a U.S. ski teamer very warmly embracing one of Sweden's top women's stars in the Oberstdorf Ski Stadium, it kind of warmed my heart, and I kept an eye on it. It's hard enough to have a relationship at all, let alone foster one, on a moving circus with someone whose family, home, and culture are thousands of miles from your own, and you're trying to be the best ski racer in the world at the same time. Add a pandemic and the paparazzi, and, well, you get the picture. This episode of Threshold is brought to you by Solomon. Recognizing that the future existence of skiing is directly impacted by climate change, Solomon is confirming that sustainability will be a major aspect of its performance parameters in future winter sports products. The first of those sustainable products is the S-Max E-Skin Nordic Ski, the company's first ski constructed with a sustainable mindset, with its core constructed from recycled plastic bottles. For more information on Solomon's focus on sustainability and all their great products, visit Solomon.com. Solomon, time to play. At the risk of coming across as a tabloid, this episode of Threshold looks at the very real conundrum that faces elite athletes as they spend most of their initial dating years, living a kind of existence very few might consider when watching them and cheering for them. We are well versed in how we develop emotionally and professionally for the sport, how we make a sport a career, what training principles we need to target and attain, but nowhere is there a manual for training of the heart, and I mean the figurative, spiritual heart, for life as an elite athlete. And we don't talk much about it because, well, it's personal. But the emotional support of companionship, love, and happiness are indeed prerequisites to any successes. The two embracing skiers in the often blotted photo last February were the U.S. ski team's Kevin Bolger and Sweden's Maya Dahlquist. On top of all the details of their training, the stresses of travel and competition, and paying the bills, they are in the process of fostering a connection between them that has to bear the stress of different citizenship, homes, and families on continents thousands of miles apart. In the time of a pandemic and closing international borders, as they each try to qualify for their respective Olympic teams and if luck would have it, win Olympic medals. As you might guess, 
we are far from the only ones interested in this unique relationship. But today on Threshold, we attempt to look at this aspect of being an elite athlete through the prism of Kevin and Maya today. Hopefully, with a little more taste and emotional inquiry than the paparazzi. At least we try. We talked today with Kevin and Maya from Lillehammer on the eve of the second FIS World Cup of the year. Maya, Kevin, welcome to Threshold. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so basically, I always start with kind of the basics with all of my guests, no matter what, what we're, we're covering. But um, tell us a little bit about your childhoods and how like, you know, how you got into sports and then into ski racing and how, did, how it all got started to, for you. So let's let's start with Maya in Sweden and then we'll go to Kevin in Wisconsin. So Maya, just tell me a little bit about like your childhood and, and, and how you became a ski racer. Um, my mom took me to training when I was a little girl so that's why I started skiing but I also did like a lot of other sports like track and field and soccer and running and yeah like a little bit of everything so and I was pretty bad on skiing and I was pretty good in track and field so I really love to be on the ski trainings but I want to compete more in track and field because I was pretty good at that one so and, and what did you do in track what was your what was your event or what was your favorite event um max one loop like 400 meters 300 meters 200 and 100 so more like a sprinter on track and field too and um hurdles i think you mm -hmm. call it hurdles. yeah yeah hurdles yeah so that's yeah that, that might explain why you're a pretty good ski sprinter <laughs> yeah maybe yeah <laughs> cool and, and what 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 age did you kind of start ski racing more seriously than maybe running track and field um i was actually when i should go to how you say high school mm -hmm. like when i was 16 i like searched for both go to track and field high school and skiing high school but then i chose to go to the ski high school because then i could keep doing track and field at the same time but then i just felt like i also want to train more skiing in the summer and just be more serious with skiing so yeah from i was like 16 17 Okay, and, and tell me about your family. Tell me what your kind of your family. Are, do you, are you? Do you have brothers and sisters? Are you an athletic family? Uh, yeah, I have one big brother, and he's been playing handball and still do. Mm -hmm. And he also did like soccer and track and field as I did. But the only thing we did separate was skiing and handball, and that's what the sport we chose. So, okay. And my mom has been a skier, and my dad was a swimmer, so. I think we've been like really into sports all my, all my life. So Kevin, I, Kevin, you and I know each other a little bit. You grew up in, you grew up in Minocqua and, and I have to, I have to say, I, I got this wrong last year on a broadcast and I heard from like the entire Bulger family that you are not from Rhinelander. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we take that stuff very seriously, especially in Wisconsin. So I, well, I, I know. I imagine you caught some flack. Yeah, I know. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in Mountain Iron, and if everybody said I was from Bowabic, it would be like, you know, everybody said I was from Bowabic. No, I'm from Mountain Iron. Like, nobody cares when you're 20 miles apart. So so I'm going to get – I'm just going to make sure you got that on the record, that you're from Minocqua. But Minocqua – you know, Minocqua has a lot of great – you know, they've had – like, both Rhinelander and Minocqua have had a lot of good skiers come out of there. I mean, Chris Cook came out of Rhinelander 20 miles away. He's an Olympic skier and been in the finals in a, in a FIS sprint. But um, so tell me a little bit about your – how you grew up in sport in, in Monaco and how you got into ski racing. Yeah. And I think it's parallels to Maya. I mean, growing up a lot of 
just involvement in a lot of different sports, kind of touching everything. Um, but I didn't, I started cross country skiing in third grade, um, because of my older brother, Connor, who, who, you know, very well. Yeah. Um, so he, he started skiing, I got into it and just kind of had some good success. Like when I was in middle school with it and just kind of went, kept it rolling all the way through middle school. And then when I came to high school, um, it was either basketball or skiing. Cause that was another pretty big passion of mine. Um, and, uh. I obviously stuck with skiing and that has paid off pretty well so far. So, so one of the things I think is really interesting about, about your relationship is that you both have evolved into elite level cross country skiers coming from very different backgrounds. So what are some of the similarities like in, in the course of like you getting to know each other and talking about your lives? What are some of the similarities you each had to each other in different countries in the way that you grew up? I mean, one, I think just like she was saying, her, her dad was a, an elite swimmer. My mom was a, an elite swimmer. I mean, I think that's kind of... I don't yeah. know if I can call my dad super. Yeah, I'd say so. But uh, so I think that's kind of kind of funny, like if oh, however that would have played an effect in our, our upbringings. But, uh, um, but then also I think how we both kind of have the same outlook on cross-country skiing. How it's... Uh, I mean, it's our job, obviously, but we have a lot of fun doing it. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I agree. So, Kevin, I, we met at a regional elite group camp, which is kind of like a recruiting camp for for potentially uh, high-level skiers. I mean, Jesse Diggins was at that camp as a 15-year-old. You were at that camp. And I was your I was your group coach, which is re- really fun. I, I think back about that often when I see you skiers. Like, I remember that little kid. And, and even back then – um, I recognize that you had a high level of belief in yourself um, as, a, as a young teenager. And, and, and the more I've been involved in, in, in coaching sport and calling it, I see that in a lot of athletes. But, but Maya, I'm also familiar with living and training in Sweden. I lived there for a year and, and trained with some of the best biathletes in, in Sweden and was really good friends with a lot of them. And it's really competitive to rise up. It's very hard to, to rise to the top level in Swedish skiing. So each of you have different had different environments, but you also had indicators of how far you might go in the sport at a young age. So when did each of you start to know and believe you could compete on the world level, and and how did your environment help that belief, or maybe even times that hurt it, at times hurt that belief? Um, I don't know. I was like pretty bad on skiing when I was like 15, 16, but I started to get better and better. And then when I only raced against my age all the time I was like oh this is pretty good then I was like top 20 as a junior in the cups in Sweden it's like it's pretty good I thought that was like really good but now it wasn't that good <laughs> when I think about it now but yeah, I was kind of surprised like the first time I was on podium in the world cup because that was the year before I wasn't continuously out on the world cup but then it was like I had seven podiums in the same year so yeah that was a pretty big deal yeah. Do, do, you, do you remember, do you, do you remember like in your own mind, do you remember that time, that moment where like, you know what, I can, I can be one of the best, like you obviously have to believe you can win a world cup, which you've done. Sorry, Kevin, I know you haven't, but you've been in the final, but you've both reached a high level. But Maya, do you remember a time? Like, do you remember what told you, you know, this is what I should do because I can win at this. Do you remember how long, how long ago was that for you? Cause you're still pretty young. Career's pretty young. Oh, was it like a, co- <laughs> a year? Too old. Um, 
No, I don't know. I don't think it was like I. I mean, I've always been thinking that I wanna win the Olympic gold and the world champs and blah blah blah. But I wasn't that good, so it wasn't like I said it. But I don't know if I really believed it <laughs> before. And then I don't know. Just slowly, I think it was not like overnight. I was like, oh, <laughs> I can actually win this. But I don't know. I think my age also in Sweden was like. When I was a junior last year, I had really good like girl I race against. So my first year as a senior wasn't that big step as I thought because I've been already racing to so good girls, and mm -hmm. I think that's helped a lot too. Like I thought I was not that good, but I had like so high level on it all the time, so I was pretty good. So more when I was a senior. Maya, did you go to junior? Did you go to? Uh, excuse my ignorance, but did you go to World Junior Championships ever for Sweden? Uh, yeah, once. Once, okay. And how and how did that go? Uh, we won the relay, but individual, I think I was like twelve and eighteen or something. Oh, yeah, so solid. Kevin, what about you? So, Kevin, I I know that like one thing that I think about like in following your career is like you were kind of like you were a guy that was willing to stick it out to see the, see the improvements. And, and I've always admired that about you because I mean, I was, I, I was kind of the same way. Like I would nobody, I mean, you were probably better junior than I was going into seniors, but like, I just felt like I outlasted a lot of people because of my, my determination. And I see that in you, like you've, you have really believed in yourself all the way through. So when did you start realizing that you wanted to do this and, and that you had what it took to do it? Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Chad. That's awesome. It's nice to hear. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think it was, I remember like doing really well in Wisconsin when I was younger um, right. and loving the sport. And then it was like doing, you know, JNs was the next kind of step. And I went over to Trollhagen in Minnesota and I just got absolutely destroyed <laughs> by these kids from Minnesota. And I think that was kind of like a turning point for me. And I was like, holy shit, like this, this is like the next step. This is the real deal. Right. I hate, I don't want to be like this. So that's when things kind of started to go, but it was a really slow, slow, slow process for me. Um, you know, I took two years off from high school or after high school before college going to Utah um, and like really trying to develop my skiing and like, okay, if I'm going to compete with these foreigners coming over to like the U S like, this is what I have to do. Um, and believing myself there. And then, you know, I never made a, junior world championship team and I never made the U23 team um you know it just kind of felt like I was just always a sleeper but yeah uh, I, th I skied really well in college and I was at Utah and we won NCAA championship as a team my senior year and just like the progression was there and it felt like I was putting all this hay in the barn um but I never really had that breakthrough um until the that Lati world cup right um, I remember it which, I remember it. I was calling it <laughs> Yeah, which was, like, incredible. Um, I, I was sitting there going, where did Boulder come from? Holy crap! <laughs> I great. think everyone was thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's awesome. But I think, I mean, one one really key person who, like, instilled a lot of belief in myself was um, Nicholas Deerhug. He had this saying that, like, belief can move mountains. Mm -hmm. And um, that was kind of something that stuck with me all through all through college and, and still does today. Like, yeah, I mean, if you if you can believe hard enough and believe in yourself that you can really do anything. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think it's just something I've always carried with me. So in order to, to move on to common themes between the two of you today, we, we, 
we kind of have to get a little bit tabloidy here. Like, and I, and I don't want to make you guys uncomfortable. I'm not going to be, you know, I don't want to get, get into it too much, but I, I think a lot of people like not you two, but other people who are, who are skier people, people who ski the Berkey, for example, or ski the Vassal Opus. Um, a lot of people can romanticize in their minds how awesome it might be to be a single young adult on the world cup circuit. And, and it is, it is, and it can be really cool. I, meeting people from around the world who excel at the same thing as you do. But as you both know, the World Cup world in a lot of ways is not really, especially, it's not really real. It's, it, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a fake world, especially in the way of stabilizing personal relationships with people. It's kind of a transient lifestyle that blends, that blends cultures from around the world from which we all have to eventually turn home, return home. So while this seems like it might be a super exciting dating place for someone in their 20s, I know from personal experience that it is, an, it is actually an, an elusive kind of thing to tackle and really challenge, in a really challenging place to establish relationships that works across national teams. So this is almost kind of why you guys came to mind because I was once 23, 24 in that world and, and I had this kind of... I actually am married to a Finn, which is sort of telling as to how my mindset is. <laughs> um, I, I, I jive really well with Scandinavians. But I think while this may may at face value feel kind of gossipy, I also think your story is really interesting and compelling. So how did the two of you meet? And what were the circumstances that you ended up as a couple? Did you one of you pursue the other? The other? Or, you know, and, and how are you making it work? I, I, I think that's it's a very human thing to bring to the juxtaposition of racing on the world cup. So tell me a little bit about your story. The two of you. I think like you hit the nail on the head, like Tinder world cup, like everyone comes to the world cup. They think like world cup athletes are matching on Tinder, hooking up. And there's like, <laughs> it's glamorous. It's awesome. That's not the case no, that's at all. Not a case. I've been like, before I met you, I kind of never talked to anyone from another country. Yeah. Like we were a lot with only the Swedes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, as I said, it, it's not a thing for us. It was a thing. That's, that's how we met. We met on Tinder Really? and, uh, we were in Ruka. So but it was like a little over a year ago. Tinder that much, though. Yeah. I think or, I sent a message and I was just I was praying like really that she was going to respond to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was you, Kevin, uh, Kevin, you, Kevin, just to be clear, you were the one who pursued Maya. Yeah, yeah. Cause I think, I think I remember, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know how Tinder works, but you know, you swipe right, swipe left. And I remember seeing Maya and I swiped right and nothing happened. And I was like, oh, bummer. You know, that sucks. Rookie. But then, you know, like an hour later, my phone goes, bring. And I was like, oh, my God, I just matched with Maya. Oh, my gosh. Oh, cool. And Maya, and Maya what was your reaction when you got the, when you got the message from, from Kevin? No, I was more like, I know I, I heard about him before because uh, like my friend's boyfriend is a good friend of you since before and I know like Niklas that you was in school with in Utah and blah 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 so you weren't I knew who you are but I was more like I know this is a good looking guy <laughs> and then Anna Divig was like a wing woman and like really yeah really she instilled the belief in Maya that her English would be okay for us to communicate. So the first we had like the best tracks between each other. I was running 
because I don't want to see anyone from your team because I don't want to stop and speak English. <laughs> so who is your wing? Who did you say was your wing woman? Anna Divik. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. She's just so. And she knew you yeah. already, and, and Anna knew you, right, Kevin? Is that right? Yeah. So I know her boyfriend really well through a, um, one of my old college roommates. Okay. Um, and I knew she was in Ruka, so I sent her a quick message, and I was like, kind of bugging her, like. She was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I would normally never talk to her, really. <laughs> yeah. So maybe in passing we would, but I was like, come on, like, help me out here. Then then it clicked for her. Yeah. And she kind of figured it out, so. Okay. So this was, was this all, this was all happening last winter, I take it? Yep. It kind of all happened okay. in Ruka, and then, uh, and then Sweden boycotted, left the World Cup due to, due to COVID <laughs> and such. COVID, yeah, yeah. So I, so that, that, that was one thing I was going to ask you, um, how you know one of the basic questions is how do you make it work and and i think the covid thing was really interesting i remember seeing because i i i read a lot of google translate often blot it and vg and and i honestly do the i I get on the gossipy ones because they tend to tell more what's going on and 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 vg had a picture of you two like kissing in the stadium at 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 the world championships the first day was that like something that like came up because you guys hadn't seen each other in a while or or how have you how have I, you how have you managed this i think like media like yeah media for you is like nothing yeah and for me it's yeah. a pretty i was like if someone keeps me on the stadium it will be like people will know yeah but you wasn't really thinking <laughs> <laughs> kevin who <laughs> yeah i mean media doesn't it doesn't even, I mean, maybe we'll get stopped in a mix zone, like on a rare yeah. occasion, but like, it's nothing we have to think about over here. Yeah. Um, unlike, you know, these superstars. But I also yeah. thought like, it's world chance. Why should people care about this <laughs> on the venue? But like, yeah, it's sweet. Before, we, we hadn't seen each other for like three or four weeks. So it wasn't like it, a long time, but it was like, oh, yeah. yeah. The last podcast we just did was with Wolfgang Pickler. And like the difference cool. even for Wolfgang Pickler between the media in Germany and the media in Sweden is huge for him because he's a big name in Sweden now. So how is how is has has this whole thing kind of lifted your profile in Sweden? In yeah, in, in the, the man in the news. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I think they've been writing so much about us, and I don't know why. Like much more than other couples. Yeah. So much, and they have questions about it every time. Yeah. And they want me to say something about it every time. And we have media <laughs> before every race and yeah. after every race. So. But yeah, I mean, I, I I notice more media coming from Sweden, not right. anywhere else. But right, and it's all, it's one of those. Maybe they'll ask a few questions about my race, but then it's more the like. Oh, so what's going on with you and Maya? Or right. What do you think about right. this and Maya's training? And I'm like, it's like yeah. Today during media, I was like, yeah, I saw you ra- ski one lap with Kevin. What did you say to each other? Like, yeah, <laughs> tell me all his secrets. <laughs> so I, I I don't want to be the media here. So so let's let's kind of change the tone of this discussion a little bit. I I think what's really interesting about this, I'm I'm really into the human aspect of this. Like this is this podcast is not just about like the technicals of blood lactate and, and anaerobic thresholds. I, I do get into that stuff. And, I, and, and but, but what I've always tried to do is get to the human side of, of what these topics are. And, and I think the, the obvious thing about having you guys on is that you're an international ski couple, which doesn't really exist much 
on the World Cup. There's not a lot of international team um, relationships. And, and, and I have to say, like, for some reason, the United States and Sweden in these sports get along really well. Like, I think back to my days in the 90s, like the Swedes and the Americans and sometimes the Norwegians, we'd share buses and we'd, like, travel to, to, to Slovakia together. And we got along really well. Some of my best friends were Swedes, and that's why I went to Sweden to train. So, like, um, what do what do each of you bring from your experience to each other's lives that enriches your lives based on not being fellow countrymen? We'll start with Maya. What is what does Kevin not being a Swede do for you uh, to make your life richer? Uh, <laughs> Did I stump you? Like, what do you mean? Like, as like a so, so, or not? as a skier or as a person, how is it? How is it different than dating a a, a a a Swede, a Swedish male, a Swedish guy? Yeah, first, like that, I have to speak English all the time. That was a big deal. <laughs> it's like, but I think also because much was like not that big difference because you've been in Norway for so much in the summers, and we've been out on the World Cup. We're doing the same thing, but in training, I think like mostly, I think that you're so good. To have focus in the gym, like how much gym. Yeah, the gym is like a big focus, and I think I had good focus before in the gym, but it's nothing to, if I compare with you, like with Kevin, it's like. Yeah, that's a big thing, I think. Kevin, what about you? What about the other way? What What about Maya being a Swedish uh, skier? And you having proximity to her, how has that changed your outlook and made maybe made you a better skier? Strictly speaking, as a skier, I mean, I think last year, like think back to last year when I made the final in Dresden, um, kind of having that belief in myself. But one thing that she always that I stole from her was, you know, she's like, you know, if you can qualify for the quarterfinal, you can qualify for the semifinal. And if you're in the semifinal, you can make the final. And that was something that stuck in my head all day, and it still does when I'm doing these heats. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of having her, like she's given me more confidence in my skiing. Um, but then also even as basic as coming to like nutrition wise, she's always like, you need to eat more. You need to eat more. You need to feel more. You're not eating enough. You need to eat more before bed. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like these Swedes <laughs> have it so dialed, like eating at yeah, 12 and three and six and nine, like, you know, like, so that's something I've, I've really adopted from, you know, from her lifestyle. Yeah, and I also think, but that's not because you're an American too, but that you're good in like tactic and technique th- things. So like today, uh, if I want to have a laugh with you in the course <laughs> before I go from there, like have a tactic thing. So, so you actually asked Kevin to ski with you on for tactics on a course, and he helps you with that. Yes. Really. Yes, books. It's the reason to, that I won in Lundrisahan, I think. He was like, if you're here, you need to pass these girls here. And I did, and I won. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, that's huge. So, Kevin, that's got to make you feel good. Yeah, I mean, I secretly, I'm just writing her training plans. And <laughs> <laughs> the coach behind the coach. Yeah. Cool, cool. So, are, are, there any things that, are there any things that are a challenge that, that being together as – you know, different from different countries. What are some of the challenges that that uh, from perspectives that each of you bring to each other that that maybe um, you wouldn't have if you weren't if you didn't know each other this well? Like, what are some of the things that 
challenge your perspective on things. Like, uh, Kevin, is there something that, that Maya challenges you on that you normally do besides the eating? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so, so much. I mean, I think generally, no, I, not, nothing that really comes to my mind where she's challenging me, like training wise. I mean, um, I'd say just the biggest challenge in general for both of us though, like when it comes to training is that we live on two different continents. Right. right. Um, which I think is a, a massive, I think it, it can affect someone's training massively when you're not, you're not together. I mean, if you're not happy, then you're not training well. So I think that's a huge challenge that we're trying to um, always overcome. Um, and I think we've done well in overcoming it so that we're still allowed to like train really hard and focused. Solomon's full line of skis, boots, poles, clothing, and accessories are designed to deliver the best in enjoyment and performance on the snow. Some of the best skiers in the world, like Jesse Diggins, Maya Dahlquist, and Kevin Bolger, rely on Solomon's S-Lab line of premium equipment to get them to the finish line first. From the world's top racers to your child's first steps on the snow, and every stride and glide in between, Solomon has you covered from head to foot for every skier. Recognizing that the future existence of skiing is directly impacted by climate change, Solomon, Solomon is confirming that sustainability will be a major aspect of its performance parameters in future winter sports products. For more, visit Solomon.com. Solomon. Time to play. So, Kevin, it looks like you spent a lot of the time in, in Scandinavia this, this summer. Is that, is that true? Like, did you spend most of your training year there? Yeah, I spent July and August in in Poland. Okay. And and it was that was that was that good for both of you? Did it did it turn out to be a good a good move for you training wise and and otherwise? Really good. Yeah. I would die. <laughs> 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 if it wasn't like that cuz I wasn't allowed to go to. You. I wasn't US. allowed to go to you saw this summer, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with the border being closed, she couldn't come over, so. Um, yeah. I've been going to to Norway. I mean, last not this past summer, but the previous summer was the first time I spent a summer training in the U.S. in, I think, almost six years. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, I was always over in Trondheim. So going over to Europe and training over there was no, it wasn't anything different for me, really. Just a different location. And it, it was somewhere where I wanted to be and someone who I wanted to be with. Um, so I think that that was really nice. And like like I kind of said earlier, just being able to not have to like FaceTime and figure out training schedules and FaceTime schedule and just like being on the same page and doing yeah, what we want to do together. Time difference in your home. <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. Well, I'm living that now calling shows from, from here in Europe. I just called the biathlon world cup this morning at O dark 30 and now I'm still trying to stay alive. So I know what that's like. It's uh last year I did it from Finland and it was a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Ke- Kevin, you obviously feel at home in Scandinavia. Uh, would you rather be there? Um, I wouldn't mind being here. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I guess I need to be careful in what I say. But, uh, <laughs> no. um, I think it's something that we, I mean, we've already kind of talked about in a way. It's yeah. like, I think while we're both still skiing, this is where skiing happens for us. For sure. So yeah. this is where I can be, and I'm comfortable here. I have a brother who lives in Norway and is married right. and has a family. 
um my little sister just moved over here and is being an au pair so like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very comfortable over here i'm very happy over here um but when we're both done skiing whenever that's going to be mm -hmm. could we see ourselves in the u.s i have no idea maybe mm -hmm. it's always on the table for discussion but yeah. i mean i love it over here i love the culture i love the people i love um just the way of life so and it's it's very similar to northern wisconsin where i grew up in yeah. that area so so Maya, have you had to try to like help Kevin find training opportunities with other other guys, or do you do do the two of you train together, or, or you know what happens when you have to go to a Swedish national team camp? To Kevin, do you go to Norway, or or what? How does that work? He followed me to camp once yeah. this summer, so that was pretty good that you can yeah. join our team. But then also, I have a really good training group in Falun, mm -hmm. uh, Dala Sports Academy. So we have like an elite environment there mm -hmm. so i think you've been like learn to know a lot of guys there too so yeah i think and you know people there too yeah you could train with them well i mean and the nice thing about summer training with roller skis is you have different wheel speeds so i mean sure. like if we were going out for a distance ski it's no problem for her no, for me to problem. put on heavier skis or right um so it's i'd say majority of the training this last summer we did a lot of it together cool um mm -hmm. when we were in falloon and then yeah i was fortunate enough to jump into one of their training camps in Thorsby. Yeah. Um, which was really cool. So have you been, have you been fairly welcome? Do you feel fairly welcome by the, all the Swedes that are ski racing that aren't Maya? Uh, uh, is the rest of the team pretty, pretty open to you hanging out with them and training with them in the summer? More and more, I should say. Yeah. I think it was a slow transition <laughs> right. for me to like join the Swedish bubble. Right. Whereas in like when my everyone was like, oh my God, Maya, 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 come hang out with us in the U.S. <laughs> and my team didn't even say hey to you. But you know? it, it's it was just that English barrier. Like yeah, they didn't yeah. really speak English or they weren't as confident with their English. Um, right. But the more I was hanging out with, with Maya and around the team, like yeah. now it's it's no problem. I probably know the nice. Swedes more than she knows <laughs> the Americans. Which just baffles me because the Swedes, all Swedes speak such good English. It's like your English is so good. Like my English is awesome, by the way. Um, it's just amazing to me that <laughs> it's just it's just funny. But uh, because I did the same thing, I you know, like I said, I lived and trained in Sweden, and um, I I always felt really welcome. I didn't even have a significant other when I lived in Sweden. I just went over there and kind of blindly trained. But I was really, I was really welcome. That's kind of wanted to see what what your experience was, and and I I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, I mean it was it was super open. I mean everyone's super open, and I think it's cool too because everyone's curious on how we do things or how I do things, like the American based system and training and what we're doing and versus what they're doing. So everyone's just kind of curious, and um, so that's really cool. But I'd say the only one hiccup was just like with COVID and everything, like you know, right. Just, making sure we're doing everything right. And I don't want to affect their team in any way, negative way. And um, so I think we're, well, we took all the right steps, but. Well, I'm never, I'm never one to leave a, an opportunity to talk training um, on the table. So you, you, you kind of hit it perfectly there. So what are some of the training details that you think um, are very, are different? Like, you know, what are some of the aspects? I, I, I know Maya, you said that Kevin's, routine in the gym is a pretty big one. So what are some of the other things that you think are, are differences and similarities between the two training models that, that, that the one that Kevin comes from and the one that you come from Maya? I think I thought it should be more different. Like I think we do pretty much the same or think the same about training, but also like I can ask you a lot about like 
altitude training and things like you've been more in altitude than I have and things like that so um have you learned anything from yeah. Kevin about about training at altitude do you does he have any you know standard things that are, that he just knows to do to go to altitude that you maybe didn't have experience with yeah, I think it's like more small things and now I will go to altitude on Saturday and I'm like, I kind of want you to say like what they are, what can do my first interval training and how I should do it, how hard and like how, how for how many days I should be really take a step back before I can go hard in altitude and things. Even if I've been more in altitude this year, but I've been in altitude before too but there's a big difference i think because you also live in altitude yeah do you feel that way kevin do you feel like you have like a an advantage and experience with altitude I, I mean i can say that i felt i did when i was around scandinavians because i think you know when we were kids we, we end up going to camp in west yellowstone at like seven thousand feet which is and no no scandinavians at, at 16 years old are going to seven thousand feet um, and, and I and I learned even at 16 how to adjust for myself going to altitude so that I later in my career I, I was very effective with altitude. Do you feel like you have a bit of a, an advantage, an experiential advantage over the Swedes' general knowledge of altitude training? Because we used to think that like, oh, how do the Americans do in altitude because they are always in such a good shape on the altitude races. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's an advantage. I think I've been fortunate enough to go back and forth between like the Midwest and altitude. And now I've pretty much transitioned to living out West. Um, so I've just kind of come to learn how I adapt to, to altitude. And I think it's cool. Like when we now go to altitude to Davos, like everyone pretty much knows what they need to do individually right? in adjusting to, to that altitude. Um, and just cause I think it's going to work for me. I don't think it's necessarily going to work for Maya, but generally, um, yeah, I'd say we kind of have a little bit of step up, but I mean, it's hard to say really. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about the, the practicality. We, you talked a little bit about it earlier about COVID and the fact that, you, you know, our borders have been closed to each other. Like I, I went to Finland with my family last year and we stayed there. We went on vacation. We stayed when they closed the borders because we just we didn't want to we didn't want to risk it. And, and we stayed a year. So, um, it, you know, you guys are kind of in the same boat that you're kind of like a unit in, in so to speak that can be separated by the border do you guys have any short range and long range plans in uh, both traveling to the olympics and then after the olympics and and what happens do you have a do you have a game plan if your borders are closed again i mean i think for me at least like i mean we get our visas obviously just so we can stay over our allotted time in europe for the winter um but like right now i'm planning on being here until the end of april over in Europe. Um, and my plan is to follow you back. Yeah, if everything works out and this new variant doesn't crush everything and, you know, but uh, that's, I mean, that's the plan now is, I mean, just I'm over here and I hopefully just can stay over here Yeah. until, until I get kicked out or <laughs> hopefully she doesn't dump me and I can stay, but um, yeah. Maya, Maya, have you been to the U.S. and been to Kevin's home or any, have you been to the U.S. yet? And and if not, do you look forward to it? Uh, I've only been in USA once, and it was on U23 in Seoul during okay. Hollow. So I've only been there for racing, so I'm really excited to go to USA. It's like, that's like on the bucket list Yeah. to go to USA. So 
cool. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, I'm psyched to get her over there. So. Show her around. Do yeah. A, do a good old American road trip and get some good training in and see some sights. Yeah, and I'm sure the American skiers would love to have Maya come do a camp and, and do stuff. I, I know others have done that. Like, I know Kaisa Saarinen came to uh, Anchorage to train on the glacier with the mm-hmm. women. And it's it's And I, who else? It's one another one of the Norwegians did about five, ten years ago. Um, what do you most look forward to going to the U.S.? What do you what what intrigues you the most about going to the U.S., Maya? I want to see like I want to go there and not train that much. <laughs> I mean, I can train, but I also just want to do more cool things. Like you've mm-hmm. been showing some. We can do this and this and this, and like how you lived and blah blah blah. That's fun too. So, like more than just training. Kevin, what do you want to show her? I mean. Last year when I was like, yeah, you got to come to the U.S. so we can do all this stuff. Like a lot of the stuff I was trying to show her is stuff in like Utah, you know, going down to like Moab and like yeah. Castle Valley or yeah. going up into like the Sawtooth up in Sun Valley. And yeah. like Just like that contrast of desert mountains and like totally. how big and vast and like what the U.S. kind of has to offer in terms of landscape. Because yeah. all these Swedes are like, hey, if we come to the U.S., what should we do? Yeah. And in my eyes, I'm like, go see these awesome places like I just said. But. For them, they're like, oh, like, what about New York or Miami or Las Vegas? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's so yeah. much more cool things to go see and do. Yeah, this is perfect for me. I'm best guide. So. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so. You know, a lot of people go to go to Disney World and they go to New York and, and those are great places. But you know, I, I I but but like you take somebody to Zion and it's it you know it's it's the most amazing place and, and there's nothing like it in Europe and I think that's really cool. Yeah, and like if we go do something like that, it's like I mean, yeah, we could go to New York City and strap on some running shoes and go run and see the sights, and that's right. probably great. But like we can go up in the Sawtooth or up into the Wasatch or down yeah. in Moab, yeah, and go for an awesome run and see some beautiful landscapes and like what the U.S. has to offer. So like you know you have that contrast, but that's what I think would be really cool to show her and go do. So um. Last question. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up here. It's been great talking to you guys. First of all, I I think it's a really cool topic. Um, it's not a typical topic that I would necessarily take on. So thanks for thanks for bearing with me. I think, I, but I think a lot of people will find this really interesting. So the last question okay. I have for you, the last question I have for you guys though is, how has your relationship with each other changed you as athletes and changed you as people? You first. I think, I mean, like one as an athlete to tackle that one first, like we can go back to the very first part of the whole, whole, the whole chat was she's just like instowed another layer, layer of belief in myself when it comes to racing. Um, and just like all aspects of skiing, um, knowing that like, you know, I, if I make the heats, like I can, there's no reason that I can't win that whole day. Um, so that's like that extra layer that she's instilled in me. And, uh, personally, um, she's just brought a lot more fun into my life. <laughs> I mean, like we are, I already generally like have an awesome life and we, I, you know, us athletes, like we live this awesome lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. We get to do the thing we love. And, um, I don't think there's anything more fun than being able to do the thing that you love with the person that you love. So to be able to share that is pretty, pretty awesome. What about you, Maya? You can't take what I said. So. You. I just say that's the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I don't know what else to say. I think that's that's the most difference too. I think the, the people ask, but how is it to train and blah blah blah. 
and things around that, but I just feel like better as a person, not only when we train. That's the best. I can't, I can't think of a better way to end this episode. That was great. <laughs> awesome, you guys. So I, I know you're racing tomorrow, so I want to let you go. Good luck tomorrow, and uh, really appreciate you guys joining us for Threshold, and good luck for the rest of the season. We'll be watching both of you all winter long, and, and good luck at the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure she's like to has survived a 45-minute-long yeah. <laughs> uh, English podcast. So. Awesome. <laughs> I remember Kevin really well from that camp in Wisconsin. When I think of Kevin, I think of that 14-year-old boy with a cool, easy smile, the youngest kid in my group, who had positioned himself in the boat each morning in close proximity to me as I motored our small group across the lake to breakfast. He had questions, but even then, he knew how to make them questions I wanted to answer and strike up conversation with him. That's a talent for any 14-year-old boy, and that didn't get past me in that, at that time. He wasn't sucking up or brown-nosing as much as trying to figure out what he could learn from me that week we were together. I don't know if he took anything away, but I liked him. I didn't foresee him doing what he's done in, as a ski racer, but I didn't have to, because he did. Strip away the accolades and teams qualified for, and the US ski team jacket, and even possibly the title of Olympian that he chases at this very moment, and what you have at face value is a guy you'd want your daughter to bring home for Christmas. And when you realize that, you hope that he lands on his feet in the happiness category. I don't know what Kevin and Maya have destined for each other, but I kind of know what it's like in their world. And interviewing them, they seem to really appreciate each other for who they were to each other. Every human needs that. It's a law of nature. One we don't think of when we root for them as ski racers, hitting a timing spot on our TV screens as a ranked athlete. But they need it just like anyone else does. Because when the training logs have been put away, You've donned your last racing bib, and new interests need to sustain you for the life after the years-long process of developing the extreme capability of skiing uncommonly swiftly across winter terrain on thin skis. There's a lot of life left to reckon with. The people you share that journey with will in large part determine how that trajectory goes for you. You just hope it's a good one by choosing good people. I've kind of been rooting for them ever since Often Blotted posted that picture. Kind of in spite of the picture itself, even. I'd like to think often blotted incapable of spoiling the nature of such a warm embrace between two extraordinary people in love. That's Threshold for this episode. I'm Chad Salmola. Thanks for listening.